Hi, my name is John Scherer, and I'm the publisher at Basic Books and Basic Civitas Books and Nation Books. And I just wanted to talk with you for a few minutes today about some of our upcoming Spring 2009 releases. I want to start first with a title from our Basic Civitas list. Civitas is our African-American imprint. And the first book is a memoir by Paul Marshall, and the memoir is called Triangular Road. Paul is well known for writing a uh, really pathbreaking memoir called Brown Girl Brownstones about 20 years ago, and it's one of those seminal works of coming-of-age memoir that is, uh, I think a lot of people grew up with and a lot of people have read. Her new book, Triangular Road, is another memoir, obviously from a different point in her life, and it's a really beautifully written uh, work which describes the intersection of people and place, and, but in a very literary way. She's using the metaphor of bodies of water, starting with the James River in Virginia where she grew up, to the Caribbean Sea where she spent a lot of her uh, early years, to the Atlantic Ocean where she uh, spent time going to Africa. And it's a memoir about her writing life. Uh, she was very close with Langston Hughes, and he plays a major role in this. And it's weaving in these different themes of, of history and personal story and, and what it means to be an African-American writer uh, in America uh, in the uh, you know, 60s, 70s, and 80s. That book is publishing in March. The next book I want to talk about is a book by a journalist named Tom Mayer. And this book is called Masters of Sex. And let me go ahead and read the subtitle to you so I can explain what that means. It's The Life and Times of William Masters and Virginia Johnson. These, this was really the couple that taught America how to love, the famous Masters and Johnson. Um, Tom Mayer is a critically acclaimed biographer. He's done books about the Kennedys and about Dr. Spock. And uh, he's really taking a, a close look at a, a, a very odd, complex, but endlessly fascinating relationship between Masters and Johnson. They did these pioneering studies on intimacy at uh, Washington University in St. Louis. And over the course of more than 40 years, they analyzed everything from the secrets of orgasms to emotional fulfillment, sexual dysfunction. They were really on the cutting edge. But at the same time, they had this very odd relationship between the two of them. They, he hired her as a research assistant and then eventually married her, and it turned into a loveless marriage. And so there's this strange irony of you know, the couple that taught America how to love, in fact, didn't know how to love each other. Uh, Tom Mayer is a great, engaging writer. With, uh, he, he has done this book by uh, having a series of extensive interviews with Virginia uh, Johnson. And this is the first time she's actually ever agreed to have her story told. So not only is there this great access, but there's a, it's a very interesting point of view. It's really told mostly from her perspective. And, and so it's a, there's sort of almost a feminine point of view uh, of, of this woman's story. And again, it's, you're looking at a woman coming of age in a, in a time in America where women's roles were really being questioned and changing uh, mostly for the better. In many ways, it's a very dirty book. There's all kinds of uh, interesting stuff going on in the lab, I guess is how I want to put it. But at the same time, these are two very complex and interesting humans who uh, have uh, you know, just a fascinating uh, relationship. It's, uh, it's really a guilty pleasure on, on many levels. That is coming in May, and that's on the basic list. Uh, next up, I want to talk about a, a science title from the basic list. This book is called Catching Fire, How Cooking Made Us Human. And it's written by an anthropology professor at Harvard University named Richard Wrangham, who wrote a very famous book called Demonic... Uh, males. And this is a very ambitious book. The author is looking at 
uh, he's claiming that this is really the first new theory of human origin since Darwin. So let me just take a minute to explain how he can be so ambitious. So the conventional wisdom and the Darwinian explanation about how humans evolved from apes is a formula that combines intelligence and adaptability and a social bonding byproduct of our sexuality. Rangham says that, uh, that there's a big missing element here, and that is the overlooked role of fire and food. So here's another, here's another way to think about it. Darwinians argue that as we got smarter and we evolved, we learned how to cook, about, and they usually say about 200,000 years ago. Rangham says that he turns it on its head and he says, if we hadn't learned how to cook food, we would still be dragging our knuckles on the ground. We wouldn't have evolved. And that this happened more like 2 million years ago, that the control of fire is actually what precipitated the changes that began to make us human. So let me just take a minute to uh, give you some details on, on, on what, what this means. So you have to think about cooked food is, is the key here. Cooked food gave us more energy so that we could go longer periods of time without eating. You know, apes are essentially looking for food and eating all the time. But once you learn how to cook, we could go long periods between eating. We had the luxury of time to plan and socialize and develop and do all the things that, you know, help us to evolve. Cooked food reshaped our bodies, gave us smaller mouths, teeth, our jaw muscles are much more uh, smaller than apes. Our stomach and our bowels are smaller. Uh, so it really, it, it physically made us appear that we, we do as humans. It helped us to be bipeds and uh, rather than on all fours. There's also, uh, it also permitted uh, more of our metabolism to develop the rest of the body and especially the brain so that, uh, that we had lots of blood and, and nutrients going to the brain so our brains were able to develop more quickly. There's also a strong uh, social element here as well. Cooking really created the household. And this will also challenge the conventional wisdom. People usually say that humans live in pairs because their children are born in a vulnerable state and that they need two parents to watch over them. But Rangham says that male-female relationships actually developed because of cooking, that men had to protect women while they cooked. Cooking takes a long time, and you're extremely vulnerable while you want to do it, and people want to steal each other's food. So uh, so, so the male-female pair uh, pairing, he, he argues, is because of, uh, of cooking more than it is these other reasons. So this is going to be very controversial, and it should get a lot of attention. There's also a lot of kind of what it means today moments to this. It really explains how, why cooking matters for our diets and how it affects our health and our physiology. He argues about why we're not really supposed to be meat-eating creatures or why the raw food movement is kind of troubling. Uh, and also, interestingly, why we're so vulnerable to obesity. For you know, a couple hundred thousand years, uh, our brains have evolved to crave and seek out cooked and processed foods since they have more calories. But now that we have a very sedentary lifestyle, that's kind of, uh, you know, working uh, counter to what, what uh, would, would be good for our health. We would, you know, if we see a big pile of uh, biggie French fries versus uh, raw carrots, we're going to grab the fries, even though the carrots uh, might ultimately be better for us. So uh, Rangham is, is, like I said, the, he's sort of the real deal. This is going to be a very important book. That I think you're going to see both in cooking magazines as well as in science publications. And most of all, it's just uh, a delight to read. He's a, he's a tremendous writer, and uh, it's very accessible. And, and, and despite my lengthy explanation of this book, it's actually a very brief book, and I think that's going to help make it accessible. So this is coming in June from Basic Books. The next book I want to talk about is a memoir by Richard Brookheiser. Richard Brookheiser is fairly well known for his history books and his biographies of the Founding Fathers. He's written a number of books on George Washington and Alexander Hamilton, this new book from him is a, a, a real departure. Um, his history books are, are great. They're very accessible, and they've sold well. But he's now uh, written a memoir. It's the first time he's really written a book uh, more about himself than about uh, historical figures. This is a memoir called Right Time, Right Place, My Coming of Age with William F. Buckley and the Conservative Movement. 
So Rick was really significantly affected by the death of Bill Buckley this spring, and uh, I think it's safe to say it caused him to consider his own mortality. And the result is a book that he's written that is unlike anything he's done before. It's blending a couple things together here. So you've got this personal memoir, just really a story of of uh, Brookheiser growing up uh, in the 50s and 60s. And then it's also a portrait of a father figure. William F. Buckley is very much a father figure. He, uh, Buckley hired Brookheiser at the National Review and uh, really was a mentor to him uh, in both good and, and, and what I would argue are some negative ways. And lastly, the book also charts really the rise and decline of the modern conservative movement. So the, the, it kind of is weaving together these three different stories, and it's a, a really beautifully written portrait of a time and a man and a, another man and a and a place and an era that, uh, you know, I think I think some would argue that, especially with the past election, that the arc of the conservative movement has kind of come to, uh, you know, the modern conservative movement has come to an end. And a lot of conservatives are trying to figure out sort of what's next. And that's one of the things that is going on in, in, in Rick's telling of this story is how did we get from, you know, the uh, incredibly optimistic time of the Goldwater 1960s and the beginning of the National Review to, you know, where we are today. And, and his his personal story really follows that. Uh, that whole arc. So uh, again, a very different kind of book for Rick, and I think uh, I think his readers of his history are going to be very pleased to learn so much about Rick himself. And uh, the writing style is a little different. It's, it's because it's a memoir rather than uh, than history. This is coming in July from Basic Books. I'm now going to switch over to the Nation Books imprint, and uh, I assume that Nation doesn't really require much of an introduction. It's obviously uh, there's a loose affiliation with the Nation magazine, and the books that they publish tend to be on the political left. Uh, but more importantly than right or left, what, the, what Nation is looking for is a serious investigative journalism and trying to tell stories that other people, frankly, are afraid to tell and, and, and haven't touched in the past. And the first book I want to talk about from Nation you know, fits that description to a T by a journalist named Bill Kleinknecht at uh, the Newark Star-Ledger. And it is a revisionist biography of Ronald Reagan. This book is called The Man Who Sold the World, Ronald Reagan and the Betrayal of Main Street America. So what Kleinknecht is looking at is the incredible legacy of the of the Reagan era. He argues that why is this man who was so bad for Main Street America, um, why is he still so revered by Main Street America? Even Barack Obama in the 2008 campaign really held Reagan up as kind of almost a mythological figure. And what Kleinknecht does is a very methodical looking at the Reagan policies and and arcing them from you know when when they first developed in the early 80s to how they brought us to where we are today. Um, you know nobody has really been willing to touch the Reagan legacy. It's only grown stronger since he certainly since presidency and even since he passed away. There are lots of books about Reagan, but there are almost no critical sort of broad stroke books about him. And this is really trying to be the first uh, significant revisionist uh, uh, look at at the, the Reagan legacy. Um, you know, some could argue that even that the bailout that we're looking at now for Wall Street can be laid at his feet. There's a lot of things that are happening today that really push back 20 years to, to things that Reagan uh, began. Um, Bill Kleinknecht is, I said, as I said, a, a journalist at the Newark Star-Ledger, and uh, he spent his whole career doing investigative journalism. He's an award-winning uh, journalist, and uh, I think I think this book is going to ruffle a lot of feathers. A lot of people are going to agree with it. A lot of people are going to disagree with it. But either way, I think it's going to get a lot of attention. This is coming in March from Nation Books. 
And then I just want to switch gears a little bit, because Nation has done, in addition to these political books, they've also done some memoirs. And when they're doing memoirs, they're looking for parts of the world that we haven't really uh, heard too many first-person voices from. So this memoir uh, that I just want to take a minute to talk about is a book called The World I Loved, The Story of an Arab Woman. And the author, the Arab woman, is a woman named Wadad Kortas, C-O-R-T-A-S. So this is a beautifully written memoir by a woman who really witnessed most of the 20th century uh, living in Palestine, which is a part of the world where there are so few uh, voices that are heard in the West. She um, uh, was raised in a very secular, partly westernized part of Palestine. And you know, the story follows this path of what, what it was a very optimistic time in the early part of the 20th century, that Palestine was going to become fully a part of the, uh, the modern westernized world. And we follow her, her, her life story and her family story, and you just sort of watch Palestine kind of crumbling before her very eyes. And it's very, uh, you know, it's a very complicated story because it's both family as well as what's happening uh, in the world around her. But uh, as I said up front, there's so few lenses for viewing this part of the world that uh, um, it's, just, it's, it's just remarkable to, to, to hear what that place was like from, from somebody who lived her whole life there. Um, this is a very powerful tradition. That, you know, you've got the reading Lolitas in Tehran and Bed of Roses, these female strong voices about this part of the world that most Westerners don't really know too much of. There's a little bit of history in here. Um, the writing is fantastic. It's very lyrical. Nadine Gordimer, uh, the winner of last year's Nobel Prize, has agreed, has just submitted an introduction. She loved this manuscript so much that she's written an introduction to it. And uh, we're publishing this in May, which we hope is a great time for summer reading. This is going to be a paperback original. It'll have a reading group guide in it as well. Cause we think it's perfect for, uh, for reading groups, and we wanted to just make it available as a paperback up front just to get as many readers as possible. So, again, this is called The World I Loved, coming, from May, coming in May from Nation Books.